DW Africa Link It's literally 5 days to go before we bid farewell to the year 2023. Hello and welcome to the program that keeps you up to date with what's happening in Africa and beyond. I'm your host Josie Mahachi. And seated next to Josie is Jojo Kachi. Join us on our Facebook page DW Africa and share your thoughts on the stories that we are covering. Coming up on the program, we take a deep assessment of UN peacekeeping missions in Africa. Why did they fail? They have failed uh, consistently to deal with the cycle of violence in, in those countries. And the very reason for which they were brought in in the first place has not been resolved. Mm-hmm. Also on the program, we shall be sampling some of your comments that you shared with us on our on this pressing issue on our Facebook page. But first, let's go for the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. Ukraine says its fighter jets have destroyed a large Russian warship docked in the port of Fyodosia in occupied Crimea. Russia has confirmed the ship was damaged and said one person was killed. Several buildings in the area suffered damage, believed to have been caused by a blast wave from the explosion. DW's Matthias Bollinger in Kiev tells us more about the Russian naval ship that was hit. The ship uh, was a landing ship that's designed to bring troops to the coast uh, who then land on the coast. Some Ukrainian media are reporting that uh, that it had Iranian ammunitions uh, on board, but I haven't seen any confirmation for that. Um, the power of the explosion suggests that there was something explosive at this site on the ship or, or nearby, but uh, there's no confirmation about the freight uh, of this ship. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the war in Gaza is a long way from over. Just days after the U.S. urged Israel to lower the intensity of its strikes, Netanyahu told troops in Gaza that Israel will only intensify its war against Hamas, which is viewed as a terrorist organization. Netanyahu's visit comes after the Israeli military killed more than 70 Palestinians in an airstrike on a refugee camp in central Gaza. As the number of casualties in Gaza goes up, the World Health Organization says amputations have become commonplace. Here is Mohammed Al-Hajj, Director of Public Relations at Al-Qasa Hospital in Gaza. Dozens of patients in the departments had their limbs amputated due to the seriousness of their injuries. Then there were those whose conditions worsened and they had an amputation due to lack of the necessary capabilities. Not getting a quick surgery appointment worsened the problem. At least four people have been killed and more than 20 are missing after a storm hit a mining region in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Officials say the rain triggered a landslide near the town of Kamituga, sweeping away a riverside cabin in which miners were sheltering. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Close to 300 passengers have arrived in Mumbai, India, after their plane was grounded for four days in France. French investigators halted the charter aircraft initially bound for Nicaragua over concerns it was part of a human trafficking scheme. At least 25 passengers stayed behind in France where they've applied for asylum. 
And Senegal's jailed opposition leader Osmane Sonko has submitted his bid to run for president. Sonko has filed with the Constitutional Council to be on the February presidential ballot, even though the state has refused to give him the necessary documents. Like other candidates, Sonko had until today, December 26th, to submit his bid and show that he had collected enough signatures. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyinge. This is DW's Africa Link program coming to you live from our Bonn studios here in Germany. My name is Josie Mahachi. And of course, Josie Mahachi is with me, Jojo Kachi. Remember to comment on the stories we are covering through our Facebook page, DW Africa, which is live currently. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We already see some of you commenting on the live stream. Okay, shall we begin, Josie? And uh, of course, UN peacekeeping forces have experienced minimal success in 2023. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, clashes with civilians led to their withdrawal. And unfortunately, Josie, this is a trend that is not so unique to DR Congo. Yes, George, in Mali as well, uh, UN Blue Helmets conducted a formal closing ceremony mid this month at the Mimus, Mimus, Minusma. Peacekeeping yeah. missions headquarters in Bamako marked the end of the mission, which involved troops from 53 different countries. Isaac Kalechi now assesses the root causes of the mission's failures in this following report. In countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, Mali and the Central African Republic, UN troops have achieved little success. Some analysts argue that UN missions operating under strict guidelines have been overwhelmed in these countries. Adib Sani, the director of the Jatika Center, expresses disappointment in the recent poor performances of UN missions in parts of Africa. To a very large extent, um, they are not because they have failed uh, consistently to deal with the cycle of violence. And in those countries, and the very reason for which they were brought in in the first place, a clear case in point is uh, Mali, has not been resolved uh, because day by day the violence seems to be uh, worsening and it looks almost like uh, the mission is helpless. In mid June, Mali's military government demanded the withdrawal of all 12,000 UN peacekeepers after increasing cooperation with Russian forces. Malian authorities accused the UN peacekeepers of becoming part of the problem instead of adequately responding to their precarious security situation in the country. According to Sani, governments such as Mali's also bear responsibility for jeopardizing the operation of missions. You know, um, UN would only succeed when there is solid commitment politically within within the, the space they are they are operating but if there's no such commitment it becomes very difficult for them and a country like mali for instance has been you know uh, uh very unstable um with, with the military uh, now at the helm of affairs so it becomes very challenging for the u.s to be able to operate under such circumstances secondly um a lot of it has to do with um, the lack of trust. UN missions operate under clear-cut operational mandates that restrict their activities. 
For instance, UN peacekeeping operations are not considered tools of enforcement. They are not allowed to use lethal force except in self-defense or defense of their given mandate. Some experts like Fidel Amacho also blame the weak mandate for the peacekeeping struggles. I wouldn't say that um, the UN missions in Africa are all failing, but rather it is the nature of their mandate that limits their efficacy or effectiveness in the areas they are meant to operate. In fact, UN missions have specific guidelines specific uh, mandate and beyond which they cannot go. And in conflict situations, because conflict situations in Africa is very fluid and very unpredictable, it makes the nature of UN mandates vis-a-vis African conflict very difficult to handle together. However, peacekeepers have also not done much to win the trust of their host countries. Some have been accused of sexual exploitation and abuse. The UN sent home a unit of 60 Tanzanian peacekeepers over allegations of sexual exploitation and abuse in the Central African Republic this year. Another concern is the political instability in some countries where the missions operate. Experts argue that reforms are needed in the operations of UN missions if they are to succeed in the coming years in Africa. Isaac Kalechi, many thanks for that piece. And of course, for convenience purposes, our interview partners were only able to be reached through phone. And I hope the audio quality was sound enough for us to be able to follow the assessment. And of course, this piece by Isaac Kalechi is detailed on our website. You can find the story uh, on dw.com forward slash Africa. And, and Josie, just as Isaac ends that piece, it mm-hmm. goes without saying that the peacekeeping missions must rethink their strategies before future deployments mm-hmm. in conflict-ridden countries. And also, just to remind our listener, the UN Security Council last Tuesday unanimously voted to start the withdrawal of the UN peacekeeping force from Congo by the end of this year. Now, the resolution adopted by the UN's most powerful body orders in cause the gradual, responsible and sustainable withdrawal of the peacekeeping mission known as MONUSCO, starting in South Kivu in eastern Congo and the gradual handover to responsibilities to the Congolese government. And we did ask our followers on Facebook page DW Africa to have their say on this topic and hear as some of your comments, Ngei, Jose, say Kenya is next to withdraw troops. And I told you you're from Kenya. Could yeah, I'm sure be? he's making reference to the Kenyan troops who were deployed to Democratic Republic of okay, Congo. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have Francis Wood who is saying the United Nations is the source of most pains Africans are going through. It looks like uh, and operates as an agent of war, looting and destruction its western interests and of course that is your opinion but remember to keep it civil mm-hmm. uh, but we do respect your views on this topic and Eli uh, Pampurira says which peacekeepers and Richard Day says Africans please come together and stop letting foreigners dictate you put your differences aside how much is enough Mail the sacrifices of our ancestors. May the sacrifices of our ancestors count. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Victor Akin is saying this is the best move and I'm happy about these withdrawals.
And Joe Fuels Mutoboto says they haven't achieved anything tangible. Anyone, the same will continue. Thank you so much for those comments. Remember, you can also air your views on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Not forgetting to appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. Another story making headlines. Local authorities in Nigeria's Plateau State have confirmed that at least 160 were lost in a series of attacks by armed groups between Saturday evening and Monday. Head of the local government in Bokos, Plateau State, Monday Khan highlighted the ongoing hostilities and this discovery of 113 bodies and increase from the army's initial report of 16 casualties. And definitely we did put this story also on our Facebook page and the question was what measures are Nigerian authorities taking to address escalating violence and ensure the safety of vulnerable communities in Plateau State. And Ifanyi, Divine Destiny, you're saying Nigerian authorities are not taking any measures. And uh, Ta Azak says Nigeria's parliament should enact a law that will give right to popul- to popularize on arms to defend themselves since the army cannot be all over the country. Mm-hmm. Interesting the way you think about it, Takazak. And uh, at the Tolani, some at the Woyi, you're saying Nigeria's intelligent agents combined with the armed and it fed police can clearly uh, not secure the country. Our best bet is for region policing and the ability to arm responsible citizens. And this guy, KT Clinton, I think is a guy, says what is happening in Nigeria, give me anything to leave Nigeria and it will not even take me a second to say no. Thank you so much for those comments. Remember to keep them coming on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And just to remind you, you are listening to DW's Africa Link, coming to you live from our Bonn studios here in Germany. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And Josie Mahachi is with me, Jojo Kachi. Join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, where the show uh, is live. And we also appreciate our listeners who are following this particular show through our partner stations. Still to come, Tanzania creates awareness of palliative care. I am familiar with this hospice service, as it is for loved ones who have a limited time left to live. The service can be offered in the hospital or at home. Well, we're coming to that, but before we get to it, Josie, let's head to Kenya and talk about a bold economic move by President William Ruto's government that has packed heated debate, I should say. And Ruto says his administration is ready to privatize 35 state companies trapped in government bureaucracy in a bid to boost productivity. Now, to achieve this, the government has signed a revised privatization bill into law, makes it easier to sell state enterprises to private companies. One of the government entities said to be privatized is the Kenyatta International Convention Center. It's a 32-story building at the heat of the capital, Nairobi. Now, for more on this, here's DW's correspondent, Andrew Wasike. The privatization drive that has been championed by Kenyan President William Ruto aims to inject private sector energy into companies believed to be sluggish under government control. That is according to Kenyan leader William Ruto, who says the country is making huge losses each year while relying heavily on government funds. Proponents like President Ruto argue it will boost efficiency, attract investment, and ultimately create jobs. He noted 
noted that Kenya is selling the state-owned companies as it needs to raise money for other projects. We look for additional revenue because we cannot borrow. We have pushed Kenya enough on taxes. The only other way to raise money is to sweat our assets. Yeah, is to sweat our assets. We must get our assets to pay us. Because, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what we are talking about. When we talk about privatization, there are places that will be leased. There are others that you will get strategic investors. There are others that you will get, uh, that you will take to the stock exchange. We need to change uh, what we call uh, government-owned enterprise policy. Kenya's Foreign Affairs Minister Musalia Mudavadi, a seasoned economist and land economist by profession, says that privatization is the way forward. I've given you an example of privatization. It's not as bad as people make it look. It's whether we do it correctly in accordance with the law so that the people of Kenya can benefit. The economic circumstances are those that we need to come to terms with. Economist David Kabata notes that in Kenya, there have been instances where state-owned enterprises are weighed down by bureaucracy and red tape. He argued that in the right hands, private owners can streamline operations, invest in innovation and drive profitability, translating to better services for consumers, more tax revenue for the government and a broader base for economic growth that the representative of the people must must also play a critical role when it comes to their the decision about their privatization i even wonder why we keep putting a lot of emphasis on privatization because we have privatized some of these institutions like mumias but they are still down why because the problem is not just about privatization it is about government safety nets the government, these people know that the government is going to come and bail them out. And therefore, the management, the issue of the corporate management is very poor. Martin Mulua, also an economist, say privatization is a good path for Kenya. I would say it was a positive move and I would encourage. So it is a very positive stride and I would encourage people to view it in a positive way. A combination of pool of the FAD will help those who are less privileged. The targeted companies span various sectors from sugar mills, Kenya pipeline to tourism resorts. The government emphasizes that proceeds from the sales will be directed towards key areas like healthcare, education and infrastructure development. Okia Umtata, a Kenyan lawyer, human activist and senator says that privatization cannot work in Kenya due to mismanagement. Most of the state corporations sit on a lot of public uh, community land. Take the example of Kenya Meat Commission. It was privatized. Has it revived? No. What has happened is that those who took over were just interested in the forest concessions to run their private companies. So the state corporations are a critical factor. So we must address the question of management, not of ownership. The debate on privatization is sure to continue as Kenya embarks on the ambitious journey. Will it revitalize the economy or leave lasting scars? Only time will tell. Thanks, Andrew Wasike, for that report. And of course, just to uh, update (laughs) our listener, Josie, uh, this is a raging topic in Kenya, but a Kenyan court Mm. suspended the privatization of nearly a dozen state companies after the country's main opposition party filed a case against the government plans to raise revenue through this move. And uh, this is something we'll be keeping tabs to. And and it's interesting that people are saying uh, an iconic building like KICC, that is the Kenyatta International (laughs) Convention Center, should be bought 
<laughs> by a Chinese entity to turn it into a mall. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> I said I'm going to buy it and turn it into a hotel. And dash, dash, dash. That's it. <laughs> yeah, for foreign investors are much invited. You should come along with I'll Isaac Mugabe you. as well. <laughs> Anyways, still in East Africa, but now to Tanzania, hospice or palliative care is a facility where patients who are seriously ill and have a limited life expectancy can receive specialized care. They are provided with a comfortable and peaceful environment to spend their remaining time. Medical drugs are not given to these patients as they are no longer effective in treating their conditions. Our correspondent Naomi Ching gives us more. Asha Kandoro was born in the Morogoro region in the eastern part of Tanzania. She is now in the hospice at Ocean Road Hospital in Dar es Salaam. Asha has had breast cancer and bone cancer for about eight years now as she groans in pain. First, I started having chest pains. After being hospitalized for a month in our village and using some medicine for six months, I started noticing a small pimple on my breasts. I was recommended to seek treatment at the most suitable hospital. I successfully reached Muhimbili National Hospital in Dar es Salaam. While I was in the hospital, I was meant to undergo right breast amputation. But due to financial constraints, I had to go back home and stay for almost a year. While I was home, my breast started to crack. With the money donated by my fellow villagers, I could return to the hospital. Staying for a long time led to me being operated twice. When a certain diseases advance to a certain stage, they become incurable. In such cases, the patients and the year Caregivers are informed. In other cases, doctors will provide an estimated time frame for how long they have left to live. Asha, who was married at 20, her husband left her because she could not bear children, despite being married for a long time. Currently, Asha lives with her young sister, who is the only remaining family member after their parents and seven siblings I received this situation well. I am grateful to God, and I still have faith in Him. I trust that everything that happens in my life is God's will, and I have accepted it with open heart. Though sometimes I feel exhausted, I cry in pain, but eventually I calm myself down, and the days go on. Here, they help us understand everything calmly. This has been my life for eight years now. You can imagine. Unfortunately, a few know about the hospice services, while awareness is needed for many people out there who are unaware of hospice services and how they can help those in need. I'm not familiar with this service personally. I've only seen a few video clips on social media, mostly featuring white people. This service is not well known among Tanzanians here in Tanzania. However, it's important to start educating people so they don't worry excessively when they have patients who have a short time to live. 
Huduma hii ya hospice naifahamu vizuri. I am familiar with this hospice service as it is for loved ones who have a limited time left to live. The service can be offered in the hospital or at home. My father received this service three months before his death. Due to our traditions and customs, it can be challenging for individuals to accept such a situation. Our society still requires education as our understanding needs to be improved compared to other developed nations. Anastasia Mitema is a nurse working in the hospice unit at Ocean Road Hospital in Dar es Salaam. She has been serving there for about 15 years now. Hospice services in Tanzania are still limited and not widely available. There are no specific facilities where patients can be admitted for the short time they have left to leave. Additionally, there are few psychologists available to provide the necessary support for patients to cope with their disease and understand it better. This support is crucial to help patients deal with the psychological impact of their illness and continue with their lives. The Tanzanian Ministry of Health recognition of hospice services and the provide education is encouraging. It enables assistance for the terminally ill and educates communities on the effective use of hospice services. Naomiya Cheng, many thanks for that piece. And, and Josie, there is a businessman in Nigeria called Tony Elumelu. Elumelu. <laughs> I like this guy. Oh, you but do? to get more information <laughs> about this guy, here is Amaka Okoye with the showbiz for today. Thanks, Josie and George. We start off in the hub of African entertainment, Niger, as it is called in the showbiz circles. It was a night of glitz and glamour as business mogul Tony Elumelu organized one of the biggest parties of 2023 in Lagos, Nigeria. The Tony Elumelu all-white party was graced by the movers and shakers of the entertainment, sport, business and political space. But the night's highlight had been when Flavor, Wonder Cole and the two African giants, Boy and Davido, took the stage to perform. The Grammy-nominated singers performed at different times and entertained guests with their hit songs. And still in Nigeria, residents of the Southeast couldn't miss on the festive moment. They defied the infamous sit-at-home order in the region to celebrate this year's Christmas. Southeast residents before now observed the sit-at-home order on Mondays, which often turns the region into a ghost town on such days with businesses and movements grounded. The illegal action is usually enforced by a faction of the indigenous people of Biafra, IPOB, a group seeking the secession of southeast and some parts of south-south regions from Nigeria. And now to neighboring Ghana. Efwa Asantewa has embarked on a mission to break the Guinness World Record of the longest individual singing marathon. Asantewa's stage for this extraordinary endeavor is set at Akwaba village at the airport where she aims to surpass the current record of 105 hours held by Indian Wagmare since 2012. 
With unwavering determination and a commitment to showcasing the richness of Ghana's musical heritage, Asantewa kicked off her record-breaking attempt at midnight on Sunday, December the 24th. The nearly five-day singing marathon is set to captivate audiences until December the 27th, 2023. We are, of course, all rooting for her. And now to the South. The year 2023 has been busy in these Mzansi entertainment streets. 2023 is the year South Africa lost the multi-talented rapper, producer, businessman, father and superstar Kenan, a.k.a. Forbes. Wild but true, the rapper was shot at close range along with his friend Tabelo Musani. Their killers have not been caught. A.k.a.'s death marked a moment in the culture books. It shook the industry. The industry was wrapped up by several deaths, including Konstantinos Sobanoglu, also known as Costa Teach, and recently Singer Zahara. May their souls rest in eternal peace. And still in the Rainbow Nation, another person who couldn't just stay away from controversy was Sian Boji. At this point, if you don't know the 22-year-old, please crawl out of that rock. You know, she's trended for sex tip scandals, allegedly stealing an iPhone 13, and her relationship drama. It's no surprise at all that she is on the list of the most searched people of the year on Google. We could go on and on, but for today, that's where we stop with some showbiz. And it's back to you, Josie and George, in Studio One. Thanks a lot, Amaka. Okay, I was just wondering, she should have gone for iPhone 15 anyway. Definitely. Pro Max. <laughs> Pro Max. You should end with Pro Max. <laughs> of course, that's all we had for today. And on behalf of the entire crew, my name is George Okachi. And I'm Josie Mahachi. Until tomorrow, take care. minds.